Romans chapter 16. I think in your pew Bibles, that'll be on 806, if it's the same red pew Bible I have here. I'm going to be using the large print version because of some of the names that are in there, make sure I can read them properly. There's some interesting names, there's some common names we know, like Mary and Jason and Julia. There's some other interesting names like Epinetus and Herodian, which we're not familiar with. So if I don't pronounce them the way you might pronounce them, then uh, I apologize in advance. I hope my tongue is nice and loose. Okay, chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, attested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the house of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is, in the, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cortus send you their greetings. Now to him, who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Our gracious Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray now that you'd help us to focus our minds on what you have to say to us 
and our hearts on what should, uh, how we would respond uh, in order to be obedient to your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder, did you watch the grand final last week? I mean, the NRL grand final, the, the real grand final. Yeah, well, <coughs> you, you turned over after the first try. After the first try, that's, that's commitment, Mum. Um, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I'm, the, I'm the kind of rugby league fan who only watches the big games. I'm really oblivious to what happens, <clears throat> you know, in the lead up to it. But uh, I've got to say in recent times, I've kind of lost my interest in the big games uh, as well. Uh, it's, you know, gone are the days when it was a local team with local talent. It's all, what is it now? It's big business, isn't it? It's, it is big business. And the gambling ads that they show, just dreadful. And, and other, other agendas, social agendas and stuff. You know, just give us football. Um, and it's so much so that I, last week I just couldn't stomach and I, I didn't watch the grand final. First time in years. I haven't watched the grand final. I understand that they even delayed the kickoff time uh, by 15 minutes just to uh, fit in with um, Channel 9's um, scheduling. It was already a late game, and you know, mums and dads with kids, you know, finishing finishing off at nine o'clock and having to get home that sort of thing. But so it was just to fit in with Channel 9's programming, and people didn't like that. Uh, this year, I kind of half-watched State of Origin. I've got this love-hate relationship with State of Origin because I just hate seeing New South Wales lose all the time. <laughs> but I've got to... I, I, look, you can turn the recording off for this. I actually love watching Queensland play. I mean, they are so good. They, they, it's, it's just magic to see such a well-oiled machine on the field. And as I say, I, I'm no expert. I'm a big games-only kind of fan. But I understand that, you know, you, all these different players, different shapes, different sizes, different talents, different positions, so that, you know, the full-back, he's got to be a bit of an all-rounder who takes initiative. The, the wingers, they've got to be the fastest on the field so they can finish off a movement. Uh, the centres need acceleration. The half-back, well, it's a big job for a small man to, the forwards, that's a big job for big men, and they're all different, aren't they? They're different shapes, different sizes, different... But when every man uses his gifts uh, in unity with the others, uh, you know, not as a prima donna, not as a, but in unity with the others for a common purpose, well, that's when you see magic happening on the field, don't you? It's great to watch. Friends, Romans 16 is all about unity, teamwork and common purpose that we ought to have with one another as a Christian church. You might want to open up your Bibles at Romans 16 where Paul now wraps up the letter and he does so with a whole stack of personal um, greetings to uh, Christians who are part of the church in Rome who he knows through other ministry contacts and it's like a kind of a snapshot of what the church in Rome looked like. Uh, because what is a church? Is it, it's, not a, it's not a snapshot of some kind of basilica, is it? Uh, is a church a building? No, it's not, is it? Is a church 
you know, this is not a picture of the Vatican. It's not, is a church an institution? No, it's not. What is a church? A church is? It's people. A church is people. Individual people. People with many differences, uh, but yet united together with a common purpose. So, what do we know about these people? Well, I want to again congratulate Tim for reading this to us earlier on. A tough passage to read because of, of all of the fun names. They are fun, aren't they? I mean, like Ampliatus and Trithena and Asyncretitis and Phlegon and Philologus. I need a loose tongue myself. Uh, now, when you think about it, this, this letter was written in uh, about 57 AD, and so that's less than 30 years after the events of, uh, of the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Almost three decades have passed. And what we see here in this list of names is that the gospel has broken down all sorts of barriers. That's what we see uh, Names like Mary and Herodian. Now, what kind of what race do you think they were? Mary and Herodian. They would be Jewish, Jewish, right? Uh, what about um, Philologus and Olympus? What kind of racial background do you think they are? I mean, can you get any more Greek than Olympus? I mean, fair dinkum. Um, and there's, there's a stack of Latin names here as well. It's an international, multicultural church. And the people are different socially as well. Uh, some of them have got aristocratic kind of names, like Aristobulus and Herodian. Others are working class names. Uh, some like Priscilla and Aquila, where well, we know that they're, they're business people. Others were probably slaves. You see the picture, don't you? Different types of people, different races, different walks of life, but one team with a goal to honour God with their lives and to be a witness to Christ Jesus and his gospel. Check out how Paul describes the team. Verse 1. Phoebe is a servant of the church. Uh, verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila are fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, Andronicus and Junius have been in prison with Paul. Uh, verse 9, Urbanus is a fellow worker in Christ. Verse 12, Trithena and Tryphosa and Persis are women who work hard in the Lord. You get the picture here? It's not... It's not a spectator sport, is it? You've got to be in the game. It's, this is, these people are engaged in ministry, in serving, in working hard for the Lord. Christian faith is not, it's not a game at all. It's actually serious business. It's the business of being committed to God, committed to the team, and committed to telling others about Jesus. I mean, Andronicus and Junius, we're told that they actually went to prison for the sake of the gospel. I mean, it's, you know, they're not playing at being Christians, are they? When they're prepared to go behind bars for the sake of Christ. 
Now, before I go any further, <clears throat> let, me take, let me make two observations about this list of names. Firstly, if the church is a team, then Paul is a coach. And like any good coach, Paul is an encourager. I had a dear friend in my old church who uh, is a lovely Christian lady. Uh, she told me one day that she has a policy that she never um, tells anyone that they've got done a good job in ministry um, because uh, she said she just wouldn't want to be responsible for causing them to become proud. And uh, she encouraged people in other ways. And I, she's got a point, you know, if someone's all puffed up, then maybe we don't want to be saying too much um, if they're seeking after and craving for that kind of thing. But it's not an idea that we get here in this passage, is it? Because uh, Paul, we see, is a man who, is, uh, uh, who gives credit where credit is due. Uh, these people have served Christ well and Paul publicly acknowledges that. And there's a couple of uh, good outcomes of that, actually. First of all, that would have reminded those people of how worthwhile their serving is, which is always an encouragement to actually keep on working hard at doing it, to know that God actually uses what they, they do. And Paul, by making these encouragements, is publicly signalling to others what is truly valuable. Um, I mean, I just mentioned the two who had been prepared to go to prison. Why did I mention that? Well, because I say, that, well, that actually should encourage us <laughs> to think about how seriously we take our faith. Now, my second observation is this. The, I don't know, the Apostle Paul is sometimes bad-mouthed by people, um, especially on the issue of women in ministry. Um, have you noticed that? Um, the Bible, uh, for sure, uh, does teach that men and women are different and that there is an, an order in relationships. And that uh, order, and we've preached about it on other occasions, it's worthy of a sermon on its own or a series on its own, that, that order uh, uh, is as such uh, that, uh, that men should uh, lovingly and sacrificially lead their families. Uh, that a, a man who, a godly man, actually steps up to the mark and in the very rare situations where the buck needs to stop somewhere, he's prepared to actually make a call and doesn't do so for his own benefit, but actually for the benefit of his wife and his children. That's leadership. That's the male leadership that the Bible speaks about. And uh, <clears throat> it, um, uh, I, I have rarely uh, been spoken to by ladies, Christian ladies, who have said that, they, um, that their husband just does too much um, loving, sacrificial, spiritual leadership in the house. Um, I don't care to mention how many times I've heard the reverse, though. Now, it's because... Um, and the, the family unit... Uh, flows through into the church unit as well. And that's why uh, 
we say that it's appropriate for men to take the senior roles of leadership in a church, but not um, as a status thing, as a serving thing, um, laying their lives out for the sake uh, and the well-being of others. Because Paul, um, and this flows throughout the scriptures, I would argue, but Paul, because Paul teaches this quite explicitly in passages like 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in, in 1 Corinthians 11 and so on, uh, I've heard people refer to him as a misogynist. You know what that means, don't you? Somebody who hates women. He hates women. Paul, the woman hater. Have you heard that? Well, it's not exactly the picture that we see here, is it? As we uh, read through verses 1 through to 16, uh, we're struck by the number of women who Paul singles out with great affection and admiration for their ministries. Uh, in verse 1, we read about Phoebe. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sencria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people including me. Now, Sencria was in Greece. It's uh, right next to Corinth, which is where Paul was based when he wrote this letter. And so the, the scholars say that Phoebe most actually, may actually have been the one who was entrusted with this letter to deliver the letter to the church in Rome. And that's why Paul has encouraged them to, to take all good care of her. Uh, in verses 1 through to 16, there is at least eight women whom Paul uh, values greatly as players on the team. And one lady refers to the mother of someone, he says, she's been like a mother to me as well. Um, and, and this is actually quite um, extraordinary because in the ancient world, women were not always treated very highly. And we take it for granted because we are the beneficiaries of the impact that the gospel has made uh, in the world and in culture. Uh, but women were not always treated very highly and well regarded in the ancient world. But as the gospel of Jesus spread, people come to, came to understand that although men and women are, 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 are different, that we are actually created. And we're created by God and we're created by God as being equal in his sight. But different. And this was very liberating in the ancient world. Very liberating. And actually so helpful for the overall, for the overall well-being of the church. Because we are different. We're equal and we're different. Men and women have different ministry opportunities. I cannot minister to women anywhere near as well as another woman can. I can't do it. I, I don't have the makeup for it, uh, especially on personal matters. And nor do I want to, uh, because uh, on a one to one basis, it is far more appropriate for men to minister to men and women to minister to women and uh, to avoid all the other the complications that can result from that. And we're wired differently, aren't we? I mean, uh, how much time have I got? I'll tell you a story. At the minister's family camp, one of the, um, one of the ladies, the minister's wife, was telling us how she 
She and her husband go away on this minister and minister's wives retreat group with a half a dozen or so other couples. And she said they were away on the retreat and they had an exercise to do. The women were to meet separately, the men were to meet separately, separately in another location. And they had a two, the session went for two hours and the purpose of the two hours was to share their life stories with each other or something like that. Anyway, she said it was great. It was a fantastic time. She said it was, we, we all just opened up and it was so much sharing and so many tears and, and lots of hugs and a couple of boxes of Kleenex and so much. Ink. It was great. After the two hours, they went to see what the men were up to. Couldn't find them. They'd all gone down the beach. They'd, they'd gone through the exercise in 30 minutes, wrapped it up to their satisfaction and headed off down the beach. We're wired differently, aren't we? We're wired differently. That's a great thing. Cassie and I can be in a ministry context with other people and uh, when we would go home, she might say to me, so-and-so must be really hurting. I go, well, what, are you, what are you talking about? Well, didn't you see it? No idea what you... Nothing was said... But she just reads it intu- intuitively, reads the, the words, the body language and so on. And we, we wired differently. God has made us different. And that is for the blessing of the church. And Paul here, this is Paul encouraging women's ministry to flourish, absolutely flourish. We see that in the affection that he has uh, for the ministry of these women in the church in Rome. He's profoundly grateful. So don't let anyone uh, talk to you and say that Paul is some kind of a misogynist. Paul encourages the team. But as a good coach, there's something which he must warn them about. Have a look at verses 17 to 19. I urge you, brothers, says Paul, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learnt. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Now, in a letter which has been so much about unity, why would Paul finish up by saying, I want you to stay away from certain people, to be disunited from them? Why would he say that? Well, because the gospel is serious business. That's why. What Paul has been teaching throughout this magnificent letter has got huge implications, uh, not just for now, but for all of eternity, for all of us. Um, have a look down at verse 25, uh, where he says, uh, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about the mystery. Now, the word established here means to secure something tightly. And God, says Paul, is able to secure you tightly. This is what we need. Um, Think back on the book of Romans. 
In the first few chapters, uh, we've learnt that every person without Christ is in a very insecure position. Think about the Gentiles back in Romans chapter 1, where Paul says that the, um, the glories of... Uh, that, uh, that, the, that, that God has revealed himself to all of the world through, uh, through the creation. Uh, we can know that God exists. We can know something about him by the creation that he's revealed himself to us through. But what have the Gentiles done with the creation? Well, they have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, for uh, idols, blocks of stone and wood that are made to look like the creation, like animals, birds and reptiles. And they've worshipped and served the creation rather than the creator who is to be forever praised. And therefore, because they've rejected God, they've considered the knowledge of God not worth having, God has given them over to the sinful passions of their hearts and into all kinds of immoralities and selfishness and so on. I take it that so that people can see that that actually doesn't work so well and I fear for our society, don't you? As we've turned our backs on God, that God may be actually giving us over to our sinfulness, that it will flourish so that we will be brought low and maybe come back to him. And all of this leads to no security at all because it leads to the wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed, says Paul in Romans 1, against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men who reject him. There's no security in that. And then there are the Jews in Romans 2 and 3. They believe that eternal security would come through obeying Old Testament laws, as if somehow they could be good enough for God. A lot of Australians have got their own version of that. Be good to your neighbour and you'll be right, hopefully. But we all fail in many ways. And yet Paul, here in verse 25, is able to conclude Romans by talking about God who is able to establish you and he is able to do that because of what Romans has been about, the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, Romans 5, 6 to 8. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, that is no hope, no ability, no security, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, says Paul, will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Bore our guilt, bore God's wrath, which we rightly deserved, so that we can be declared right in his sight, forgiven by God, made new, both now and forever. For all of those who trust in Jesus and repent, security, establishment in a relationship with your God forever. By the way, have you done that yet yourself personally? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you turned your life over to him? 
Have you done business with God rather than just playing a game? If not, now is as good a time as any to do so. Now in verse 25, Paul says that, uh, there, that there is a, a mystery which has now been revealed. And that mystery is that eternal friendship with God is, is not just a matter for the Jews, it's for all people, no matter who they are. This mystery, says Paul in verse 26, is now revealed so that all nations might believe and obey him. You see, church is not a game. The gospel is not a game. What is important is the eternal salvation of individuals and the glory of God. The stakes are high. And that is the very reason why Paul says to stay away from anybody who teaches you a gospel which is other than that gospel. Stay away from them. People who want to add obstacles uh, over and above what Christ has done in addition to his work. Stay away from them. Um, just before the first service one of the uh, congregation members uh, wanted to um, give me some information um, just about a ministry activity that he wants me to promote. And he'd written it uh, down on a card to give to me. Well, it's on, on the, that side of the card's the information. Little did he know the other side of the card is a good prop for one I want to talk about now. It's a red card, right? It's a red card. Anyone who wants to teach a false gospel, we should be giving them the red card, shouldn't we? Because the stakes are high. They need to get off the field. Or, says Paul, the divisive person, the person who by smooth talk and flattery, the person who takes you aside and just wants to get to know you better and in their words they kind of separate brother from brother by their poison and they do so so as to quench their own appetite they appear to serve God but who are they actually serving what does Paul say themselves and they need we need to give them the red card we need to not tolerate that kind of thing because they turn they cause the team to stop functioning in unison. They, they corrupt the team. They cause the team to start turning in on itself and bickering and infighting instead of being united in sharing the gospel of Jesus. A part of Sydney which is close to my heart because it's where I grew up, a big... Department of Housing Estate in that area, um, had a small local church a few blocks away, uh, one which was um, faithfully preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in an area which is very needy, um, physically and spiritually. I remember about 10 years ago, I read something in a newspaper about that church uh, and a court case and... Um, I was very, very saddened when I heard that the church was 
but for the grace of God, was actually looked like it was imploding. And that because of just one person in the church. One person who, who had an agenda, a person who was uh, politically savvy and wealthy and a lawyer who didn't get their way in church. And so they just wanted to push, push that. Um, no matter the cost. I was really sad to hear that because, and I wrote to the I didn't know the minister, but I wrote him a letter and just said, I just want to encourage you, brother, keep on doing the work. It's so important, it's so valuable. But that whole thing, the division that that caused and the consumption of energy, uh, they're not actually reaching out to people, are they? And the rest of the area can go to hell whilst one person has their ego stroked. It's not loving to tolerate false teachers. It's not loving to, div- to tolerate divisive people in the church. It's actually wrong to do so. Paul says that we need to stay away from them, no matter how friendly they may seem. I never gloat when I hear of another local church being wracked by division. Never gloat about that. Because God is dishonoured, people are hurt, and the gospel is not heard. But for the grace of God. And yet in Romans 16, this is actually a snapshot of a healthy and vibrant church, isn't it? Uh, This long list of People with fun names for whom Paul is very grateful to God. I mean, Andronicus. It's a, that's a brand of coffee, isn't it? I, I don't know, did you notice that there was a, there's a people who belong, in verse 11, people who belong to the household of Narcissus? <laughs> did you notice that? I don't know if Narcissus did become a Christian or not, but the people in his household had. And so far from being self-loving... They're actually known for serving the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Anyone calls me a narcissist in the future, I'll just refer to verse 11. (laughs) Uh, Paul commends these Christians because they're team players in this great work of saving other people from hell, of displaying God's glory through his church. All these undeserving people, Jews and Greeks and Romans and men and women of nobility and slaves and all together, united, sitting with one another in church, singing God's praises for all of eternity. Satan hates that. But guess what? They're on the winning side. Because as Paul says here somewhere... That the verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. His doom is writ. Game's over for him, save the full time hooter being blown. And so, are you trusting in Jesus? And if so, are you playing your part in, in the team? Not sitting on the sidelines, not sitting up in the grandstand. <laughs> Are you, act, act, are you act, actively involved, sharing your faith, looking out for a, 
opportunities to serve other people and to serve God. Uh, last Sunday, um, I understand that the Melbourne Storm won the grand final, is that right? Good on them, good luck to them. You know, they can <clears throat> have their celebrations because, you know what, in a few years from now, not many people are going to remember that. You might have forgotten already. Maybe you didn't even care in the first place. I want to tell you this, though. The service that you do for, on God's team, that is service that will be remembered for all of eternity. So keep at it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful way in the, in the gospel just breaks down barriers and brings humanity together under the lordship of the Saviour Jesus. Father, we pray that um, you would spare us from false teaching, spare us from uh, divis divisiveness, uh, help us to be united as one, uh, flourishing together, that uh, your kingdom might flourish through us. Thank you for this great book of Romans, how it's cleared up the gospel for us in, in such a profound way. And uh, may we be those who keep on persevering, knowing that um, uh, you'll soon crush Satan's head under your feet and that we can enjoy all of eternity with you. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.